Well, this morning, I just want to share with you as we get started how exciting this time is at Grace Community Church. I, this has been one of the most exciting seasons I can remember in a long time at Grace for a couple of reasons. You know, when I first came here, one of the first things I did eight years ago was close down a library, a nice library we had in one of our rooms because we needed the space for it. I remember a few years ago, we started a food pantry to help meet the needs of people in our community. We had to shut that down too because we didn't have space for it. Remember, we had a Christian school here who was meeting almost every weekday during the week here using our building. And we did that for a while and the the school grew and then they had to stop coming because they grew and they needed more rooms than we had to offer. On Sunday mornings over the last eight years that I've been here, I've seen twice now our children's ministry and young families start to grow and grow. And then the rooms get packed on the children's side and we start to lose people again. And so I am so excited that after all this prayer and this work that we've done over the last few, several months, even the last couple of years, uh, to get, to get space available, we will be opening up that space next Sunday. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. I'm also excited for another reason, not just the fact that we have the space, but that God has been stirring in so many of your hearts over the last few months challenging you, encouraging you to find ways to love your neighbor. I just keep hearing these stories over and over again about how God is using you. I, I, I saw several of you here last night at a, at a movie night for, with the children's ministry for a bunch of kids in the community, some of the kids from our church as well as kids from the community at large coming here just to hang out together and get to know Miss Mel and Miss Lucy in our children's ministry. T- tonight, we're going to have a big outreach event at Riverfront Park, there's going to be a paint war with our, children, with our youth ministry. And you know what? You might want to just hang around on the edges and just watch how that goes tonight. I think you'd really enjoy it. But if you want to be a part of that, show up at 5 o'clock and wear some clothes you probably don't want to keep. Uh, but we'd love to have you there. And, and we're doing this again because we want to connect with more students in our community and hopefully get them here in the weeks ahead as we start a Youth Alpha in a few days. And... Just so many things God's doing in terms of outreach with two alphas starting now this fall. Two grief shares going day and night to be able to reach out to people who are suffering with grief, a loss of a loved one. A mending the soul group for those who are dealing with divorce. A care portal ministry for the people in our community who are struggling financially where we can go and help them. All these things are on my grace if you're interested in But it's just so exciting to me to see how God is stirring here. Uh, one example that I've just been totally blessed by in the last few weeks is there's one family at church who, here at Grace who have taken this idea of loving their neighbor literally and they're, gonna ha- they're ha- partnering with our staff to put on what we're going to call our first fall festival and trunk or treat here at Grace on Halloween night to be able to reach several more families in our community for Christ. You know, we think, well, how is that going to happen with a fall festival? So oftentimes people just aren't comfortable showing up at a church, but they'll show up for a Halloween event and we can connect with families and get to know them and, and encourage them to build relationships with them. So if you're interested in that, there's some information on my grace about it. They're already starting to put the, the wheels into motion for this, and you'll be hearing more about it in the coming weeks. But all that's just to say, this is just, it's just amazing to see how God's working in our community. And I just pray that he will continue to work in us to challenge us to love our neighbor and to reach out um, and show the love of Christ to them. You know, uh, another thing I'm excited about today is that we're starting a brand new series of messages here at Grace called God's Bumper Stickers. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of an odd name for a sermon series, right? I know. I I tried to come up with something a little bit better, but that was the best I could come up with at the time. But uh, 
Think about this for a moment. Here's the premise behind this series as we get started with it. I was walking in a parking lot here in town not too long ago, and I was noticing all the weird bumper stickers that people in Oro Valley put on their cars. Right? Have you ever noticed? Have you ever taken the time, like when you're in a parking lot here in town, or you're on the interstate, to just watch the backs of people's cars and see what they put, what they advertise on their cars? Have you ever done that? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Okay, whatever. There's two things I know about people that I've watched people over the years. Number one is that we tend to advertise the best side of us, the things that we value the most on our social media feeds, Instagram, Facebook. We put up there every day the things that we think are most valuable. Oftentimes those are things about our kids or our families, right? But the things that we enjoy, the things that are the most valuable to us, we advertise day in and day out. Those things are there, but they disappear every day or so, right? But there's another place that we advertise what we value on a regular basis, and that's on our car bumpers. And those things aren't temporary. They don't just disappear in the next day. Those are kind of permanent, right? Or at least semi-permanent, the things that we, we put out there. Now, I wonder if you might know among the community here at Grace the things that you value. Because I sent some people out in the parking lot in the last couple of weekends to snoop and look at the backs of your cars and to see... What you value. Here's what I found. Number one, there's some dog lovers here at Grace Community Church. Yeah. Now, funny thing, I didn't see a single... I didn't, none of the people who looked out there saw a single cat lover sticker. Not a one. Wonder why. No idea. I also saw that there, you know, some of you, you really are into your sports teams and you've got those stickers on there. I saw the, the dichotomy between ASU fans and U of A fans. Believe it or not, it was kind of evenly split last weekend. So some of you at U of A fans need to kind of step it up and represent a little bit better, I think, uh, in the future. Um, I also saw that there were some bumper stickers that just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. In fact, one of you, you had a, a Mary Poppins bumper sticker on the back of your car. <laughs> what is that about? I have no idea what that means, but I'm sure there's a story behind it, and I want to know what it is. And then I, I saw one, uh, one bumper sticker. It said, got missiles? Question mark? And I'm like... That's probably a Raytheon employee in our parking lot. That's the only, I can, that's the only way I can explain it, right? So you guys maybe can help me out a little bit later. I also saw that some of you are proud to advertise your faith in Christ. And that is, is your pastor. I just say, that's awesome. Good for you. I'm not doing that. I'm not putting Jesus on my bumper because I would probably misrepresent way too often if I did that. I, God needs to work on my patience a little bit more before I dare stick one of those on the back of my car. But good for you. I'm so glad you're doing it. Oftentimes what I have seen, though, in town is that many people like to use their back of their cars to advertise their families, right? Have you seen all the people in town who like to advertise their families with stick figures, on the backs of their cars. Have you seen this? I, I don't know what, what it is. I, I don't quite understand the psychology behind why we wanted to kind of represent ourselves as stick figures and show how many kids and how many dogs we have. But we, we like to do that, right? And some of you even like to put on these bumper stickers. And I don't, I don't know if schools are still doing this, but I have still seen so many cars that proudly display that their kid is an honor roll student at such and such a school, right? Now, I didn't notice any of those bumper stickers in our parking lot. So that's making me start to wonder if we got any bright kids in our church. No, I think we just, I think we just don't like to brag is really what it is. I know we've got bright kids in our church. But, um, yeah, I almost dug myself in a hole with that one, didn't I? Wow, okay, I better keep going. You know, um, 
one of the, um, most of the time, um, we, we, when we do brag about our kids, what I'm noticing is that we brag about the schools that they go to, right? And I saw in the parking lot, a lot of people wear their, with their schools or even the university bumper stickers out there uh, bragging about where they go to school. And it made me, as I was thinking about this weeks ago, I had this thought, and that was this. I wonder if God drove a car, what would be on his bumper? Now, I know it's a stupid question, right? Because God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So there's nowhere for him to go if he even had a car. So it's kind of a moot point. But just play along with me for a moment. If God had a car, what would be on his bumper sticker? Would he be bragging about his accomplishments? Would he be bragging about himself? Probably not. But I bet you he would be bragging about his kids. And he probably wouldn't be bragging about the schools we go to or if we're on a roll students or where we go to work, or the things that we accomplish. Because the Bible says that God values us not on what we accomplish, but on who we are. So what kinds of things would God say? Well, let's see. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning in your Bibles. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 in the New Testament. If you don't have your Bibles with you, but you have, I'm sure you have your smartphone in your pocket, just pull it out. Go to MyGrace.Church in your web browser and click on the Messages tab there. And you can follow along with the scriptures this morning that we present. Now, as you're looking for that Ephesians, well, let me just share this. I feel like I need to tip my hat this morning to a Christian author who's now deceased by the name of Henry Nouwen. Because he was kind of an inspiration to me in the creation of this series. Um, He wrote a book a number of years ago before he died that was called The Life of the Beloved. And so the four main sections of this book became the four, kind of four titles for me, the four bumper stickers for this series. And so if you're interested in just kind of reading something in the next few weeks on your own, this is a phenomenal short read. It'll probably take you two or three hours, but really good. And there's some copies of it in the, uh, out in the breezeway today. If you'd like to pick up one, uh, you can feel free to do so. Henry Nowen wrote this book actually for one of his non-Christian friends to share what his Christian faith looked like. And it was only years later, just before he died, that this actually became a published book. In the book, he describes so well how in God's eyes, our identity and our value isn't found in what we do. It isn't found in what we accomplish in this life. It's found in who we are in Christ or whose we are in God, if I can put it that way. We are God's Kids, God's beloved. He says in this book that our life is lived out before God and it's enjoyed most by God in four ways. Four ways that all of us come to live into. And we're going to look at the first one of those this morning where it talks about how we are God's chosen. And here, here's the truth I want us to walk away with this morning. Your identity and your value in this life It doesn't rest in what you accomplish in this world. Your value and your identity, it doesn't doesn't rest in how well you did in school. It doesn't rest in what degrees you have, what your career looks like, how much, how how many, whether you make six figures or five. It doesn't matter if you get that promotion or not or how fit you are or how skinny you are. You have nothing to prove in this world. And here's why. Because in God's mind, your identity is already settled. You're his kid. And at the end of the day, in his mind, as God, 
That is all that matters. So the three questions I want us to look at this morning when it comes to this idea of being identified as God's chosen, as God's beloved. First question I want us to look at this morning is this. When did God choose you? If you are his chosen, then when did he choose you? You might be surprised by the answer. It was actually before you were even born. Look at Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Here's what Paul writes. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now notice verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, Paul exclaims, and it gave God great pleasure. Did you get that? Before you were even born, before God even made the world, it says in verse 4, God chose you. God had you on his mind. Before Christ ever came to earth to give his life for you, before you breathed your first breath or committed your first sin, God already saw you as complete, as holy, as flawless in his eyes. As his, he actually, Paul actually goes on in chapter 2 of this book, chapter 2 verse 10, to say God describes us as his masterpiece, perfect and complete in his sight. Why? Because when he sees us, as it says in chapter 1, he looks at us through the lens of Christ and he sees us as perfect. Think about that. Henry Nouwen said this in his book, Life of the Beloved. He said, long before your parents admired you or your friends acknowledged your gifts or your teachers, colleagues and employers encouraged you, you were already chosen. The eyes of love had seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty and eternal value. You know, it's, it's nice to be chosen, isn't it? Can you think of a time in your life, maybe even recently, when you were chosen out from a crowd among other people because of maybe some gifts or talents that you might have? I, I remember you last year being chosen for this sabbatical grant and how much it meant to me because it allowed my family to get away and we received this huge gift, financial gift, to be able to go away. And only a few pastors in the country got it, but I was so blessed to know that God chose us to be able to do that. But at the same time, I can also think about that there's also these times in our lives when we're not chosen, right? Maybe you can think of a time when you weren't chosen. Can Can you think of a time like that? For me, I remember the thing that always sticks in my mind is throughout my childhood, absolutely hating, hating is the right word here, P.E. class. Especially the first five minutes of P.E. class. Do you know why? Yes, somebody knows, right? That's the time when the coach decides to grab two kids to be the team leaders for whatever sport we're playing that day, and they get to pick their teams. And guess what? I was never on the A list. I was never on the B list. I was never on the C list, for that matter. I was one of those final few in the pack every single time. There was like, you, you, you just heard the sigh in the other kids' voices when they're like, 
I guess I'll have to take Hillis. Right? And that, that, I remember that so often. And I would try so hard in PE class to try to do well, to try to be coordinated for just 60 minutes, right? To try to catch the ball and not drop it, to try to not trip over my own feet for one day, right? I was so uncoordinated all the time. I can, some of you who had this look of empathy in your eyes, I know. You're just like feeling sorry for me is what you're doing. You can just go ahead and say it. Oh, right? It's okay. We can just go ahead and move past that, right? But there are those times in our lives when we aren't chosen, right? And it doesn't feel good. Now, there are a few times in our lives when not being chosen does feel good. Actually, I'm probably one of the few people in this room that's privileged to be able to say, I have never been chosen for jury duty ever in my life, and I'm in my mid-40s, right? I've never been chosen. You know why? As soon as they ask me what I do for a living, for some reason, they they don't need me, right? And so I'm like, you know what? I've got other things to do today. That's totally okay. But, you know, there are those times in our lives when we're not chosen. And it doesn't feel good in those times when it happens. Throughout our lives, we're going to have times like that. And for some of us, those times can be a little bit painful, right? I have some of you, you've talked about how you, you were told a little bit later in life that you were an oops baby. Or... Some of you have shared how you weren't, you weren't the popular kid in school. You weren't the one that was chosen to hang out with the other popular kids in school. Maybe you were one of those people who were rejected by a college of, that you really wanted to go to or rejected by the military because you weren't smart enough or you weren't fit enough or you weren't athletic enough. Maybe later in life, there was a season when you struggled with job interviews and just kept going into one after the other. And you, always, you got to the first interview, but you could just not get your foot in the door. You weren't chosen. And you'd start to ask yourself, something wrong with me, right? You, maybe you were denied a promotion at work or you were laid off. Those things can kind of stick with us, if we're honest. Maybe there have been times when you've been rejected by your friends or by family or even by someone that you really loved. In those moments, we ask ourselves things like, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I not valuable enough? We can even feel that at times later in life when our kids or our grandkids are too busy to hang out and spend time with us. We might push these feelings away. We might laugh them off. We might ignore them. We might blow them off. But the truth is, we all face rejection in life. We do. God made us with gifts and talents. He gave us our personalities. But listen, listen, please hear me. God never intended us to find our value and our identity in those things. God has already chosen us. So these temporary rejections that we might face at times in our lives, they may disappoint us. They may frustrate us. But they shouldn't cause us to ever question our worth or our value because that is already established by God. When we don't see ourselves as chosen, there will be this longing deep down within us to to be liked, to be chosen, to try to prove ourselves to other people. But hear me, your identity, your value does not rest in what you accomplish in this life. It doesn't, (laughs) because you are already chosen by the God of the universe, and you have nothing to prove. 
Most of us never really notice the sheer amount of negative self-chatter that goes on inside our heads on a daily basis. That makes us constantly try to be someone that we're not. Someone once told me, you know, not being you will destroy you. And you know what? I think that's true. We can strive, guys. We can try for years to be what we think others want us to be in order to try to accept us. And eventually, we start to lose track of who we really are, who God made us to be. The more you act like someone else to try to please someone else, the less of you you really are. God says he sees us as his unique masterpieces. We're not missing anything. We are complete in his eyes. So if you're struggling to find work, hear this. You are still God's masterpiece. Are you struggling with chronic illness or pain? (laughs) I know that's hard. But you know what? You are still God's masterpiece. Have you been rejected by people who you thought were your friends but didn't accept you for who you truly were? You felt like you had to be someone you weren't to be around them? You are God's masterpiece. We not only see this idea in Ephesians 1, guys, we see this throughout the Bible. In Jeremiah, it says that God formed us as we are and he chose us for a purpose. In Romans, it says that we are chosen to become ultimately like Jesus and to radiate, to shine his glory through our uniqueness that he places within each one of us. And the second question that I would throw at you this morning to consider around this idea of being chosen is this. Did God choose us or do we choose God? Good question, huh? Did God choose us or did we choose God? Well, my answer to that question is yes. Yes, absolutely. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says that God chose and adopted us. God didn't see you like on the, the, P, on the PE field and it was like, all right, I'll take Ron, I guess. No, he doesn't. He's like, God, Scott, he did it again. I wish he wouldn't keep doing that, but whatever. I'll just take him. Whatever. That's fine. No. God has chosen us before we even could make our first mistake. And God works through our imperfections in this life. So we don't have to stick our chest out and wave our hands around like, God, pick me, pick me, because we've already been chosen. He chose us in spite of our performance at times. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. It says this. I love this. It says, instead, God chose the foolish things of this world in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose those things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing what, to, to nothing what the world considered important. And as a result, none of us can ever boast in the presence of God. God, your proud parent, doesn't need you to prove yourself to him. In fact, he likes working, as I said, through your imperfections. Think about that. 
To be chosen as the beloved of God is something that is radically different from anything else we will ever experience in this world. Instead of being competitive and excluding others, God includes others. Instead of rejecting others who are less valuable, He accepts and values each one of us in and through our uniqueness. Throughout the history of the Christian faith, there have been people who have spent their whole lives trying to determine the answer to that question. Did God choose us or did we choose God? Right? I mean, the the $20 theological terms for that are Calvinism and Armenianism. And it's a bit confusing because when you look at the Scriptures, you can find some verses of Scripture that seems to show that God chose us, as we saw in Ephesians 1, but there are other places where it really kind of shows that we choose God. I mean, one great example is John 3.16, right? We see very clearly that we choose God, and in doing so, we inherit eternal life. So which is it? Well, Calvinism would say this. Calvinists say that we are totally unable to do good on our own, and we can't even accept Christ for ourselves, that God chooses us, Right? But, they also, but a, people who believe in Calvinist theology will also say that when, God choo, that when God chooses you, you can't resist His grace, no matter how hard you try. And Calvinists would also say that Christ didn't die for everyone. He only died for the chosen, who He wants to be saved. So, personally, it starts out good for me, but then it kind of goes off the rails at some point, right? At least for me, it does. Now, Arminianism also explains that humanity is sinful and we are unable to do good on our own, but that God desires for all people to be saved and he offers us all a home and an identity in Christ. God doesn't reject certain people, but because he knows the future, he is able to foresee which of us will choose him and which of us won't. But just because... He knows how it's going to turn out with each person. It doesn't stop God from loving each one of us and having a plan for our lives. And it doesn't keep him from giving us free will to make that decision for ourselves. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with that. If I go much deeper, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble. So I'm just going to stop there. But there's more information about that if you want to dig into that a little bit deeper, including a lot of scripture references in your online notes today at mygrace.church. I believe, personally, that we choose God of our own free will. But please don't forget that before we choose Him, He's already chosen us. We'd have no ability to choose Him if He hadn't already chosen and adopted us. The the best example I can use to explain this is a child in an orphanage. Picture a little girl who has been stuck in an orphanage for her entire life. And this couple shows up one day, and their plan is to adopt her. So they walk around the orphanage with her, and uh, they ask this little girl, what would you think about us taking you home and giving you, a, giving you a home of your own today? In that moment, she's feeling chosen, and she's, seeing this, she's being offered this gift, and she's being able to make this decision, right? But what she doesn't realize is that that offer is only possible Because they had already chosen her. You see? There's a famous preacher years ago named John Wesley. And he he termed this idea prevenient grace. Which is that God made it possible for any person to choose to accept his gift of life. 
The last question I'll throw at you this morning as we wrap up is this. How does God want us to respond to being chosen? And the answer is this. With simple acceptance and gratitude. You know what, guys? We live in a performance-based world. And it pushes us constantly to achieve and to stand out from the crowd. Right? That's not bad or good necessarily. It just is. That's just the way the world works. A world, it's a world that chooses us at times and rejects us at other times. But when we lose touch with our chosenness, the fact that we are chosen by God, that rejection that we feel sometimes in life, listen, it can turn to self-rejection. We don't see ourselves as good enough. And we start living to please the other people who are around us, don't we? When we start doing that, and we start trying to be someone we're not, we aren't growing the way God intends for us to. Now and called this idea of self-rejection the greatest enemy of the Christian life. Because it contradicts, he says, the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Which is who we are at the core. He, Henry Nouwen, before he died, he said this, and this is actually in the book Life of the Beloved. He said, as long as we allow our parents, our siblings, our teachers, our friends and lovers to determine whether we are chosen or not, we are caught in the net of a suffocating world that accepts or rejects us according to its own agenda of effectiveness and control. We don't have to do anything to be chosen by God. We already are. Guys, it's a done deal. It's because that we are chosen that in gratitude we can choose to love others the way that Christ has loved us. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 6, this morning. It says, So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So every time that we are hurt or offended or rejected, you know what? We have a choice to make. We can accept what everyone in the world happens to say about us. Or we can say that those feelings, those attitudes, those words, as harsh as they might be, as strong as they might be, as much as they might penetrate inside of us, they are not telling the truth of who we are Because the truth of us has already been established by God himself. We are his chosen. You are a chosen child of God. You are a masterpiece in his eyes. And you are loved for all eternity. No matter what you do or don't do in this life. So, no more striving. No more needing to please other people in this life. We accept and we live out our God-given desires to the fullest because we are already chosen and accepted by Him. Would you pray with me? Lord, this, I know for some of us this is such a simple message. 
that we are chosen by you. We, many of us, we have heard it. We have, if we've walked with you for our whole lives, maybe we learned this in, in children's ministry, that we are the beloved children of God, and we are. But Lord, forgive us for those times when those critical, negative self-voices just kind of dominate our lives. When we hear those messages and aspects of our lives that say to us we're not enough, we're not good enough. Lord, those messages can tear us down. They can, de- they can make us depressed. They can make us anxious. They can cause us to drive us to push, push ourselves to be someone we're not. And Lord, I know you look at us at times in those moments and you just say, I just wish you would accept who you already are. Lord, help us to move this understanding from our heads to our hearts and to truly believe it, that we are your chosen, that we are your beloved children, and there's nothing that we can do to make you love us any less or any more. If you were here today and you struggle with this idea of being chosen, if you struggle with self-rejection or the rejection of others, I just want to encourage you this morning. God has his arms open wide before you this morning, and he wants to take away all that stuff and to put a new image in your mind and in your heart. If you've never accepted Christ in your heart or in your life, maybe you've never surrendered your life to him, maybe you're just now realizing today that he already has chosen you, but that he is... Even though he's God, he's waiting for you to choose him. And he is today. What would it look like for you today to choose him? To say yes to him and to allow him to direct the plans for your life. Because I tell you, his plans are perfect for you. If that's you this morning and you would like to just commit your heart and your life to him today. Or maybe rededicate your life to him today. I want to encourage you to just pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart today. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I am so grateful to learn today that you have already chosen me. That you have a plan for my life. That you, are, that you delight in me. Lord, there have been so many times I have not delighted in myself. But I thank you that you have lovingly pursued me even to this place, this room today to make sure I understand it. God, I ask that you would come into my heart and my life, that you would forgive me of all of my many shortcomings and sins, the the times I have disappointed you by making my own choices apart from you. God, I ask that you would forgive me of all those things and put them as far away as the east is from the west as you say you do in Scripture, and remember them no more. Lord, I thank you that right now you are looking at me and you see me as perfect, complete, whole, without flaw, a masterpiece. And God, I ask that you would use me in the months and years to come to show that beautiful work of art to the world around me as I use my gifts and my talents, my skills, to impact other people's lives for you. Lord, that is my heart's desire. And I will delight in seeing how you use me in the years to come. 
In Jesus' name, amen.